Good morning, Osterville Baptist Church. It's such a privilege to be with you today and open up God's word. It's great to get to know Harry and Muriel and their love for the Lord and for his people. Thank you, Pastor Rob, to allow me to share this pulpit where the word of God is so faithfully proclaimed week after week. You are uh, so, so blessed. This is a great celebration and a sweet, sweet reminder, recognition of our veterans. And if I may, thank you. Thank you to each one of you who has served our great country. And thank you to Osterville Baptist Church. Thank you for honoring those who merely did what we so loved to do. I'm excited to be joined by my beautiful wife, Mitzi, today. Uh, this Tuesday, we will have been married for 34 years. We were married. We were married in, uh, in Thailand. Uh, you may recognize my best man standing next to me. He stood up here one year ago today. Tom Joyce is his name. He was one of my flight instructors in the F-14. He was my boss at the time, and, and now my pastor and forever my friend. Uh, and, and notice that mustache I have. I was rocking that um, <laughs> while Rooster was still in diapers, okay? Uh, Mitzi and I have four children, and our youngest son, beloved son, Josiah, is with us here today, and him I am well pleased. Uh, he and I returned from Rwanda, uh, a mission trip uh, just last month, and uh, he was baptized there by Tom Joyce, along with about 60 Rwandans. Hallelujah. The angels rejoice. Are you at war? Are you at war? As we recognize our veterans, it may sound an odd question. Uh, it may sound an odd question, are you at war? Am I speaking only to the men and women who've worn the cloth of our nation? No, I am not. No, I'm not. As you come to worship our Lord, are you at war? And I'm not talking about what it's like to get kids ready for church. And I'm not talking about what it's like uh, to wonder what you're going to do for lunch or what the rest of Sunday's going to look like. I'm not talking about those things at all. I'm asking, are you at war in your heart? If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, open them up to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I'll be reading from the ESV. Your Bible may have a heading called the Armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace." In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, this imagery, this illustration, this command to don the armor is a familiar illustration in the Christian world. Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, so he was likely surrounded by Roman guards with all their garb, with all their armor. So it makes sense 
this illustration. So we'll not depart from that norm, but I'm going to add a little twist today. I'm going to add something a little bit more, uh, maybe more modern and certainly more personal to me and use Navy flight gear to help make the illustration perhaps a little bit more clear. Are you at war? Are you at war? Maybe you're still not sure, and this passage about armor ha has made it all the more foreign. Well, let's, let's walk through it, and we'll use three points today, three-point outline. We'll talk about the target, the gear, and the mission. The target, the gear, and the mission. My, my prayer is that you will know the answer to the question, are you at war? You will know that question before you leave this morning. Look at where we land in Ephesians. We literally parachute right in to a portion of scripture that, that could appear to be uh, completely out of place. We go immediately to the weapons of war, and we're told that we're in an epic battle of heavenly proportions. How could that be? Just a, a, a short amount of time prior to this, in chapters 5 and even the first part of chapter 6, Paul is talking about what it looks like to live the Christian life. And he addresses husbands, wives, parents, children. He addresses bosses. He addresses workers. The context then is that Paul details what it looks like to live the Christian life, and then, bang, we find ourselves right in the heat of battle. So if you fill any of those roles this morning that Paul has addressed, uh, and you're a believer, you, you are at war. But more accurately, Satan is at war with you. This is where the armor is needed. What's the battlefield? What's the battlefield? The battlefield is your marriage. The battlefield is your relationship with your parents, your children. The battlefield is how you operate on the job. That's the battlefield. Make no mistake. The need for armor follows quickly after the description of what we're supposed to do. And it's right where we find ourselves in Scripture. Does that sound a bit extreme? Perhaps, perhaps. Maybe you're just a bit player. Maybe, I mean, how, how could you be essential to the kingdom of God? Why, why would Satan care about you? You're not making a kingdom difference. Well, could it be that what is really at stake are those of us who exist in the far more mundane roles of everyday life? To be sure, the evangelists, the pastors, the missionaries, oh my word, they're all under siege, without a doubt, as they make their stand for the cause of Christ. Uh, and, and, and as they sacrifice, as they, as they face persecution, as they labor thanklessly, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, oh my word, yes, they are under siege, yes, they are at war. But none of those folks are mentioned by Paul in the passage just prior. Instead, Paul names each one of us, literally. We are the ones under, under siege. So again, what's the target? What's the target? Believer, the target of the attack is you. It's me. Satan is at war with the believer to take us out. Recall that a conversation that Jesus had with Peter, and Jesus declared that the gates of hell, the very gates of hell, will not prevail against the church. So I believe that Satan does not attack the church directly, but instead he attacks individual believers with the goal of taking us out one by one by one. Paul's focus in our text is not on every aspect of Satan's opposition to God and man. No, but he's very specific here. It's, it's, it's on Satan's war with the saints. That's you and me, those of us who've claimed the name of Christ as Savior. 
Satan's at war with you and with me. Brothers and sisters, if you've claimed the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are at war. You are the target. Let's take another look at our passage. Take a look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Not in our strength, but in the strength of his might. If we were to diagram this, this verse, if you will, it might look like this. Strong in the Lord, as, and that's what drives us to trust. Uh, the strength of his might is what causes us to obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Strong in the Lord is, is about who he is. The strength of his might is about what he does. Notice that the devil has schemes, but the Lord has strength. And the devil doesn't have just one scheme. <laughs> no, no. He has many schemes. If there's any hope that's, that's in the battle, well, inevitable, that we don't have to rely upon our own feeble resources. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Next, we're told to put on the whole armor of God in verses 11 and 13. Not just part of it, but the whole armor. And understand that when we put on the whole armor of God, we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. We're also told, take up. Take up the whole armor of God. Our duty is not to attack Satan or to defeat him, but rather to stand, to withstand his attacks. Our task is defensive, not offensive. We are not to take out and defeat Satan. That is the role of Christ. The command that time and again, time and again we read is to stand. You may be able. Next we see that. You may be able. This is about equipping. It could also read that you may be equipped. We read that in verses 11 and 13. Finally, let's take a look at what kind of fight this is. What kind of fight is this? What kind of fight is this? For we do not wrestle. Wrestle. It's the only time the word is used in the whole New Testament. But it's a very common practice in the Greek world. Very common sport. And it's used to illustrate that this is a very close battle. This is an intimate battle. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. And this is not about a battle with flesh and blood. This is an intimate battle in your heart. In your heart. Paul is bringing this cosmic battle home, right into the spirit-filled life. You're called to be a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly parent, a godly child, a godly boss, a godly worker. That's what we're talking about here. That's your calling. That's my calling, to live out godliness in those areas that may sound so boring, but behind those are the demonic forces of darkness fully at war in your heart. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, equipping you to stand against the devil. You're equipped. You're able. You're strengthened by God. Jesus rose from the grave, disarming the powers of darkness. They have no authority over you. They've been defeated by the resurrection. So stand knowing that our Lord defeated the grave. So we are the target in this war. And notice in verse 14 that before Paul even describes the armor, yet again he says to stand our ground. And the nature of our weapons, boy, they tell us a great deal about the nature of our enemy. And the war that we're in and the methods which Satan will employ to take us out, his efforts to destroy us. Let's take a look at the gear the armor of God. First, the belt of truth. There are many combat veterans here today, and I think each one of you would understand the, the, the importance of strategic advantage, of strategic 
uh, imperative. The strategic high ground in this discussion is the truth. That's the tr strategic high ground. Now, there's all kinds of other wars going on in our society. You see them every day. There are assaults on family, assaults on law and order, assaults on, on ethics, assaults on morality. There's a war on marriage. There's a war on children. But do you understand that those are just secondary skirmishes? And they're really not what the real war is all about? No, friends, the real war is about truth. Without truth, Christian, what you believe, what I believe is a lie. Gird your loins with truth. Truth holds it all together, and it's the first thing that matters. It's foundational. And we must know the truth. John's gospel tells us, and you will know the truth, and the truth will, truth will make you free. Well, thank you, John, but what's the truth? Later on, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Christ is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, it's been said that in a, living in a Navy fighter squadron is like living in a government-subsidized motorcycle gang. <laughs> but there are rules, and some of the rules require that we put on uh, some armor, some gear. This is the first piece of gear that we would put on, and it's called a G-suit, and it goes around our waist. The function of the G-suit is to fill with high-pressure air and squeeze the lower part of your body to keep blood in the upper half of your body so you can think, so you can operate. So without this foundational piece of gear, I would pass out and be of no value to the mission at all. Just like the foundation of truth, the G-suit that I wear is the primary piece of gear and undergirds everything I do. Righteousness is next, and it's the only way to be made right with God. It's not enough to know the truth, you have to live it out. And that's where Paul goes here next in verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our heart must be protected by the breastplate that only God can provide. Not the law, not works, not our good intentions, not because we're Americans, but by the righteousness of Christ alone. Jesus, at the end of his life, takes our sin and gives us his righteousness so that we can now be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because we're hidden in Christ, we have the righteousness of God, which was demonstrated in, in, uh, in the life of Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ becomes then our righteousness. Now, it's not merely an external thing. No, this is, this is internal righteousness that God gives our heart. He transforms our heart from the inside out in a real way. This is not merely some accounting gimmick. No, we actually become righteous through regeneration by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then God's law is written on our hearts. This is the new covenant. The law is written on our hearts and our sins are forgiven. We are declared righteous and we are freed from the power of sin and death and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, Philippians 3. Now, along with my survival vest that I would wear, this vest here across my front, I would have an LPU, a life preserver unit. The Navy kept that, wouldn't let me have it. But because I fly, flew on aircraft carriers, I was around an awful lot of water. And so we had a seawater-activated life preserver unit 
So with this survival vest that had all the gear in it that I needed in an emergency, the life preserver unit, and then this instrument of death called a torso harness, you step into this and cover your G-suit. My, my, my torso was protected. My breast was protected. Next, Roman shoes had spikes in them so they could easily stand firm. Basically cleats or bulky boots with uh, multiple layers of leather and spikes in them. It not only allowed that Roman soldier to stand firm, it prepared him. It made him ready. We read in verse 15, the gospel is that which prepares us. That's what readies us. The gospel is the only peace we can offer. It's the only hope that we can bring. The only true peace is eternal peace. And the only way the battle for each individual soul is won is the peace which only, only the gospel brings. You know this verse from Isaiah. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him, the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52. Now these boots were the boots I would wear in the cockpit. And not only would they allow me to stand firm, these are steel toes. Steel toes would protect my feet if I had to eject. An ejection is a very violent event. And although your legs are jerked back towards the ejection seat, you can really seriously damage your feet on the way out. So the steel toes protect my feet. I think you'd agree landing on enemy territory with broken feet would be a, a pretty bad outcome. So these boots would likewise allow me to stand firm. The, next, the shield of faith. The Roman soldier's shield was massive, massive. It was you know three feet wide by four feet tall, a big, huge thing, maybe three inches thick and covered with, with, with thick leather. And that leather would, would absorb those flaming arrows if needed or deflect um, you know, some heavy armament. Uh, yeah, this was a huge, huge piece of gear. The arrows could rain down at any time from anywhere, and we needed to have that shield of faith to, to protect us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Friends, the gift, the shield of faith is a gift. And every single piece of armor described by Paul, likewise, is a gift. This is the doctrine of salvation. It's by faith alone. Recall the flaming darts or the flaming arrows. What are those things? Those are the lies, the lies of the evil one. And faith says, I have the boldness to stand against those lies. That's what faith gives me. Now, I couldn't bring the mighty F-14 to the sanctuary this morning. <laughs> but know that I put a lot of faith in the fighters that I flew. The aerodynamic forces on those airplanes are absolutely immense, and they, it protected me as well from the elements and from rain or bad weather and even lightning. It also had a, a degree of protection for me against uh, the, the surface-to-air missiles or the anti-aircraft artillery or the flaming arrows, missiles from the enemy, the air-to-air -air missiles. When I flew in my airplane, I was safe. It was my shield. Next, the helmet. The for the Roman soldier, the function of the helmet is twofold. It's, it's to protect and to identify. It's made of very steady or sturdy uh, material that would protect from impact. But it also has the ability to have a, a plume or a brush 
attached to the top for identification. Now, I hope you see how this connects to your salvation. Let's say temptations get through the shield, and now you give in to sin. Let's say that happens. But you recognize that it's not going to kill you. It's not going to take you out of the battle because you're saved. You have the helmet of salvation. You are protected and you're identified in Christ, even in need, time of rescue. You have the helmet of salvation. It ensures that God hears your prayers and that he speaks to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. Without salvation, he doesn't hear me. Without salvation, I can't hear him. He doesn't speak to me. I have no communication. God does not look down and recognize me. He will not rescue me while I'm drowning. Now, God gives us full assurance of salvation by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so your salvation, my salvation, is every bit as secure as the resurrection. We read in Acts chapter 17, because he has fixed a day on which we, he will judge the world in righteous, righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is my flight helmet. This is the last piece of gear that I would don before getting in the aircraft. This provided me with protection, with uh, communication, and with identification. So this helmet would protect my head from violent flight maneuvers. Um, and if I needed to eject, which again is a violent maneuver, this would protect my head. It would also allow me to hear the radio with these ear cuffs and the radio that would come through the helmet. And it would allow me to connect my oxygen mask to my helmet that would provide life-giving oxygen. And in that mask is a microphone that would allow me to speak. So this helmet allowed me to hear and be heard, allowed me to listen and to speak. I could yell all I want in the airplane and nobody would hear me without this helmet on. There's another critical uh, uh, factor about this helmet, and, and it's covered in reflective tape. It's kind of dinged up because it's seen a lot, of, a lot of action. But it's covered with reflective tape, and that's so that you can be identified from above and, and, and rescued, you know, be it at, at nighttime over land or even in the ocean in enemy territory. And if it's at nighttime, uh, we might affix a, a, a beacon to the top of the helmet and allow us to be seen and rescued. We, we could even uh, put an infrared filter over this beacon or, or something that only night vision goggles, goggles could see so that the bad guys would not see us, but only the good guys would. This helmet that I would wear would allow me to be identified and recognized and rescued from above. Lastly, our only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. We're not to be offensive. No, it's the gospel <laughs> that's offensive. And it's contained in our only offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. For the word of God, we're told, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. From Hebrews 4. And we also know in first, or sorry, 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's that word again, equipped or made able. But in order for, a bit, for it to be effective, in order for your sword of the spirit to have any value at all, we absolutely must read it. We must study it. We must believe it. And we must apply it. You may have a phone with a Bible app on it, and that's great. But this little pocket Bible, uh, if I use this, I'm never going to get distracted with Instagram or sports scores. So this little Bible has been, uh, pocket Bible has been incredibly valuable to me. And, and as I open this Bible, I see uh, words written in red. Because this Bible, Scripture was written in blood. May I never forget the one who died so that this could be written. Likewise, in similar fashion, when I flew in the jet, I flew with a pocket checklist. This is from the F-14. We have to have a ready access and, and a reference to, to, to things in the heat of combat. We have to be able to, to recall crucial information in time of crisis. Throughout our training, we, we have volumes and volumes of thick publications, volumes and volumes of thick books that we have to study. But we can't take those into the airplane. And in extremists, we can never open them up. So what we need is condensed in this small book. Most of this is memorized. Much of it is anyway. That's because when things get cranking, or we say when your brain turns to water and pours out your ears, <laughs> you, you, you need to know how to reference this. All this is done from many, many hours of memorization. And lastly, what's said about this small pocket checklist is that it's been written in blood. Why might that be the case? Following these guidelines is proven to prevent the loss of life. Conversely, ignoring them, going against them, will almost guarantee bloodshed and the loss of life. Many lives literally were, lo were lost in writing this book. And, and my life was saved time and again by adhering to what's in this little pocket checklist, time and again. And, and as I open these pages, Literally, I can, I, can, I can recognize, yeah, yeah, here's one. I, I can think of, see the face of the pilot that was killed so that this could be written, so that this portion could save me. All this Navy flight gear was given to me. It was not by my design. I had nothing to do with it. The United States Navy gave it to me. I didn't earn it, but they provided it to me for my protection, to equip me to fight. But ultimately, this gear was not provided to me because I was a good guy, or maybe uh, because I did well in flight school. Didn't do that great. Um, <laughs> or, or because I was faithful to the Navy. Now, this gear, and even the airplane, my shield, was given to me for one reason alone, for the greater mission. All the gear was for the successful mission of the United States Navy as an instrument of national policy. My gear was provided to me for the greater mission. The armor of God we read about in Ephesians 6 is not of our own making, it's not of our own design, and it's not provided for us because we're Americans, or because we're churchgoers, or, or even because we're Baptists. No, the armor of God is provided to us as a grace gift from a merciful God. 
for our good and for his glory. And, and in a sense, if you will, it's provided for his greater mission. We talked about the target, and that's anyone who claims the name of Christ. We talked about the gear, the, the armor, the armor of God, and we're to put on the whole armor of God. It's a, it's a grace gift, and then we, we are to stand. Well, let's look at the mission. Now what? So we've got all the gear on. We're ready for combat. Okay, what is it we're supposed to do? I love this description from R. Kent Hughes. The scene could not be more dramatic. It is a soldier preparing for battle. His heart pounds, thump, ka-thump, ka-thump, ka-thump under his heavy metal breastplate. As he steadies himself, he hitches up his armor belt and scuffs at the earth like a football player with his studded boots, testing his traction. He repeatedly draws his great uh, shield across his body in anticipation of the fiery barrages to come. Reflexively, he reaches up and repositions his helmet. He gingerly tests the edge of his sword and slips it back into its scabbard. The enemy approaches, swords pulled from their scabbards, ring and chilling symphony. The warriors stand motionless, breathing in dreadful spasms. And then the believing soldier does the most astounding thing. He falls into deep, profound, petitionary prayer. For he has obeyed his divine instructions to take up what scripture calls all prayer. Ultimately, when the arrows, not if, when the flaming arrows from the evil one come, the lies, the temptations, when they come from the evil one, that tactical enemy we all face named Satan, may we be found in all prayer. May we be found in all prayer for all the saints at all times in all perseverance. Friends, when we put on the whole armor of God, take up the whole armor of God, the mission is prayer. Back to my opening question. Are you at war? Maybe you're sitting there and all is well. You've got a great marriage. You've got a great family. You've got a great career. You know, uh, listen, people worldwide can enjoy those blessings. The blessings of a marriage, a great marriage, great family, a great career. It's called God's common grace and it's shed on all mankind. Just like the rain falls on the believer and the unbeliever alike. And this, this beautiful weather we're enjoying in Cape Cod falls on the believer and the unbeliever alike. That's God's common grace. So if there's no internal struggle, if there's no battle in your heart, if there's no conflict between your flesh and spirit, you don't need this armor. It is not for you. And you may even conclude that you're not at war. But that would be a very dangerous, a very wrong conclusion. If you're not a believer, none of this armor matters. That's true. It won't help you. You see, dear friend, if you have no need for the armor of God, you're actually very much at war. Let me say that again. If you have no need for the armor of God, you're actually very much, very much at war. Very much at war. But you're, you're not at war with Satan. No, you're not. You're at war with the holy God. Unless you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're at war with a wrathful, vengeful God. And there's no more perilous place that you could possibly be. No more. For those of us at war with Satan, our gracious God offers his complete protection. The scripture calls it the whole armor. But you're, if you're at war with God, you have no armor. You have no protection. You have no rescue. Friend, you are without hope. Recall the sword, our only offensive weapon. Recall the sword. The sword reappears in Revelation at the end of the story. It re 
It reappears at the return of Christ, but it will not be for your defense. It will not be the sword of the Spirit bringing the good news of the gospel. No, friend, it will be the sword of judgment. Instead of the sword being an offensive weapon that we would use to neutralize our enemy, no, no, it will be a sword used by holy God against you. It won't be the weapon of rescue, but the weapon of, weapon of judgment. It will be a weapon of wrath. Friend, believe the sword of the Spirit or receive the sword of judgment. Friends, has there been a time when you placed your trust, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and alone for his salvation? Has there been a time? Has there been a time where you placed your trust and your faith in the one who died on the cross for our sins? He was crucified, he died, and he was buried. On the third day, he rose again. Have you put your trust, your faith in this Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ? If you have, if you have, the armor of God is for you. Take it up, put it on, and stand firm. If you have not, you're at war with the Holy God. And I urge you, I beg you, I beseech you to make peace with that God today. The war we're in is not being aged to, waged to see who's going to win. No, no, that's already been... That's already been determined, you see. God has won the war by the death of his son, his only son, on the cross at Calvary. So I have one more question for you. The great question is not who will win. Instead, the great question is who will stand. Thank you, Austin Baptist Church, for, for having me here, for your wonderful honoring of our veterans, but above all that, for the way you honor Christ week after week after week. Thank you.